You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Um, my name is Zach Mirkreebs, and I'm RA of uh, 704 Seattle Drive. Shout out. <laughs> nice. I don't know what class I belong to, but um, I tried to come up with some Christian words, um, but didn't come up with them. Um, like I said, or like Trey said, a dear friend of mine, I have a joy of being around many college students, and something I'm substantially passionate about with college students is to not only introduce you to the concept of Sabbath and rest, but even this morning, and this is no offense to anyone here, we have just given you a lot of opportunities to practice and create rhythms, not bad. But today, my passion for you is to introduce you to Jesus, introduce you to aspects of Jesus that would fuel you to those practices. If we just do practices and it doesn't flow out of the heart of Jesus Christ, then it's religion. Can I get an amen from anyone on that one? Because some of you guys, are you guys big fans of religion, right? No, it's Jesus. I'm captivated by Jesus, y'all. So as you go and learn about the rule of life, we want to look at Jesus' heart that would create rhythms for you to thrive and flourish. If you take Saturday mornings off and you drive downtown and you get a dry cappuccino and you take a deep breath, that's what I do. That's not just for cappuccinos. That's because Jesus wants me to rest and experience his goodness and be lavished by his love. If you grab a backpack and you go on a hike and you, like, I'm not fit enough to do that, as you can tell. But Jesus loves me. And if you go on a hike and you just go on a hike, there's lots of people who go on hikes. But what about fueled from the heart of Jesus Christ. So to launch this week, to launch the bold courage of a team, a chapel team that's saying, hey, let's lean into a concept that's so countercultural. I don't want to go to all the practices. I want to go to Jesus' heart. I want to go to Jesus' heart because I was like a pro at Sabbath. I bet I was like into Sabbath way before John Mark Comer was into Sabbath, okay? I was into Sabbath because I grew up an Orthodox Jew. I grew up an Orthodox Jew. Every male in my family is a rabbi, and I became a pastor, so that wasn't like a great conversation for them. (laughs) But we did Sabbath. That was sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, and we took it serious. No driving, no spending money, and flipping the light switch was too much work. That's what Sabbath is. It's some of these Orthodox and uh, Hasidic and, and more religious uh, organized, or communities of Jewish faith. And then when I gave my life to Christ, I was like, I am sure that Jesus has a better version of this. And then I started hanging out with Christians, and they didn't rest at all. Like, my pastor was all about, like, let's grip it and rip it. Let's, you can't sleep. You've got to lead everyone to Jesus. Which is like kind of true, yes, but like Sabbath then was demolished in my practices instead of reinvented by Jesus. Jesus takes a day of Sabbath, which I experienced for the first 16 years of my life, and then reintroduces and says, what about a spirituality? Like every day your heart is at a place of Sabbath. 
That's what he does. It's like sepia-toned Sabbath to technicolor Sabbath. It's like taking Jesus from the chapel seats or the church pews or the fine, fine dining table to the comfy couch den and saying like, Jesus, you're good, and I just trust you. So we heard earlier an invitation from Jesus that I think shares Jesus' heart in a beautiful way. That's Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. My boy Trey read it. But ultimately, if I were to give you the message according to Zach Mercury's, I would say this. Are you wiped? Like, are you literally sick of all the expectations on you? Are you burdened by rules and laws, maybe from parents, maybe expectations from friends, from uh, maybe the church, maybe this university? Are you burdened? Jesus says, come to me. You know what you have to bring? Absolutely nothing. Your burnt up heart, burnt up mind, and tiredness is what you need to bring. Crash into this rest. And not only are you going to just pause and take a vacation, no, I'm going to equip you with a way of learning that you'll be able to carry on in a new way for the rest of your life at a place of rest. That's the invitation for us. That's the invitation for us. And I want to challenge us today, if I could be so bold, is Christians, does your life, does your life show that you operate with that invitation, with that truth? Like, are you at rest? Leaders, like Dr. Brown, I love that guy. I am so impressed by that guy. But Dr. Brown, are you a different kind of president than every other university president because you're a man at rest? Professors, do you teach differently than Transylvania professors because you are Christians marked by Jesus' rest? Coach, do you coach differently than other soccer coaches? Because we are different, and that's our witness. And I want to also just not assume that everyone here is, like, fired up about Jesus. When I went to chapel like this at a school in Indiana, I was more concerned on selling certain things and one-on-one time with the opposite sex. Like, I understand there's different level of motivations here at chapel, but those who have not yet given your life to Jesus, have you, bit, have you met this kind of Jesus? like a Jesus that wants to invite you to rest, I pray that you would lean in. So, as we talk about rest, I want to go to the invitation in Matthew 11, 28 through 30. I'm going to read it again. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you were at the church that I used to pastor, we would pause right now and I'd ask what stuck out to you, but we don't have enough time to do that. What sticks out to me is actually the eight words in the center of this passage. If we start with coming to him for rest or we just focus on his yoke, the way of life, we would miss out on the very core of this passage, the very reason that we can rest. And that's because of his heart. Eight key words. Eight key words. I counted that multiple times because I was a Bible major and I was like, I don't know math. So, but it's eight. For I am gentle and humble in heart. In Old and New Testament, the heart is the very motivation center. You could probably tell this. You could test your heart 
And if your heart is not humble and gentle, maybe it's uh, competitive and prideful. How does your life act out? Right? His heart, the very motivation of the center of his being is gentle and lowly. And this is a really special moment in the Gospels because we hear throughout his ministry reasons why he's there. John 3.16, we hear that God so loved the world he sent his only begotten son. That's one reason Jesus is here, or came. In Luke 2, he tells his parents who lost him and he was still in the synagogue teaching, he says, don't you know I'm here doing my father's business? That's another reason why he came, his father's business. Luke 19.10, when he sees a wee little man in a tree named Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus asks him some questions, he says, I'm here because the Son of Man came to seek and save which is lost. All these are motivators. It's in Scripture. But in this moment, Jesus opens up his chest cavity. He opens up himself in this privacy and this intimacy and says, guys, this is my heart, though. Gentle and lowly, gentle and humble. Gentle, meek, humble, not harsh, no showboating. He doesn't throw down his weights. He doesn't tell you, I told you so. He's humble, or gentle. Humble, it's not false humility. It's a real releasing and thrust downward. He's lowly of heart. This is a true and trustworthy saying. Because he is lowly of heart, that means he is accepting and available to you. Do you see Jesus like this, sitting back here with his nose up? And just kind of like staring at you like, oof, last night, yuck. Do you see Jesus that way? Or do you see Jesus, like I got home, I was on a trip this whole weekend, I came home and I got to see my daughter. And I'm like here, I'm like, oh my gosh, Eden, come, please. Like, I'm literally trying to figure out how to get Eden from the balcony here right now. Like, do you see Jesus that way? Because that's who he is. So if we go and start creating all these rhythms for rest and Sabbath, and we take a day off and all these things, but we don't understand his heart, then you're just doing this. You're just doing action. It's religion. Is this the Jesus you're introduced to? Is this the Jesus you know? One way you could tell this is, for a second... I'm sorry, those poor people on the slides were like, oh my gosh, where is he? A good way to test this is this. Close your eyes real quick. Imagine Jesus is sitting right in front of you. How do you imagine him looking at you? It's a good way to to test how you see Jesus looking at you. All right, open your eyes. One of the most convicting moments in my uh, walk with Jesus was at this thing called uh, Church Planners Assessment Center, which is pretty much like tryouts for church planners, which is a nightmare. And, uh, but I'm a competitive person. I'm a, uh, eight, a three wing two. Um, I'm an achiever, I got woo. So imagine a giant tryout of church planners, 40 church planners, okay? 40 church planters sitting there, and the whole back wall is coaches and pastors who have planted churches. The whole first day, we're taking, class, uh, like, taking classes, and we're answering questions, and you can kind of tell, like, everyone's kind of trying to size each other up, because we're going to get a grade at the end of this, and that grade is connected to how much money we get for our church plant, okay? 
Awesome, yeah, my friend right here is like Bleh. Yeah, tell me like two. So the end of the first day, beautiful illustration. End of the first day, the Devo says, posture yourselves as if Jesus were to walk into the room right now. What would you do? So of course, I immediately think of the most Christian sparkly answer, and I'm gonna put my face on the ground because that will give me extra points with the coaches. Of course, church planners run towards the door because that's what you'd do if Jesus walked in the room. Not wrong. Jesus showed up right now through Hughes Auditorium. I would want to go give him a hug. Some people immediately just like fell to their knees, you know, and just as spiritual as possible, you know, looking over for the coaches. Some people are like standing up, hands up, and I'm like, as I'm getting on the ground, right, because like nose to the ground, that's extra points, right? And I look out my left eye and I see this guy who uh, is planning a church for bikers and, and addicts, okay? And I'm going down, and I'm like, what is this guy doing? This dude seriously grabs a chair, puts his feet up, puts his hands on his belly, and he just smiles. And I'm judging the living Torah out of this dude. I'm like, that guy's not gonna get any money for his church plan. <laughs> and then as soon as my nose hit the ground, the Holy Spirit told me, that guy understands God's heart more than you. How many of you have just been competing and comparing and wanting to look shiny and beautiful and impressive because that's how you get to heaven? That's a lie. You know how you get to heaven? Jesus died on a cross for your sins and coming to him with your exhaustion and all of your sin and all of your shame and all of your guilt and you sit under his love and you sit under his grace and you sit under the sole rest he offers you and you put your hands on your belly and you smile because he's that good. He's gentle and lowly in heart. Amen? So from this place, Two things spiral out. And we can't go to the two other things before we go here. So we got the gentle and the lowly, okay? Two things that come out. We can receive rest, and we can take on his yoke. I'm going to keep cruising. The first one is come to me. We're able to come to him because he is gentle and lowly in heart. It's not go find. He came. He found. He came incarnationally to find us, to offer us this gift. And what do we need to bring? Anyone? What do we need to bring? Nothing. Nothing. Good. You get hiccup on someone. I don't work here. <laughs> um, nothing. You bring your exhaustion. There's no payment. His rest is a gift, not an exchange. This rest is a gift, not a reward. Your accomplishments, your resume, your holiness, your purity. No humility and brokenness. This is one of the most powerful quotes coming from a book that has have cared for my soul ever since losing our daughter uh, last December. It is the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity that we are declared right with God, not, not once, uh, once we begin to get our act together, but once we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will. It's the most counterintuitive aspect of Christianity that we, we are declared right with God, not once we begin to rest, get our act together, 
but once we collapse into honest acknowledgement that we never will. This is rest. Take day off. Go do something special. If you can't take a full day off, I tell everyone, can you start with three hours on a Saturday morning? Teachers, if, if you're married and you have kids, like, we figure it out, my wife and I. Like, we will watch each other's back because it's so important. It changes. But this is rest. It's rest for your soul. That's what you get once you come to him. And rest is not naps. It's not a vacation. Like, it's not you turn in your papers and now you get to go home for break. Rest is this morning when I'm wrestling with myself in the mirror, and I'm like, is this like a two-cuff jean chapel, or like, should I show my tattoos or not to be like the edgy chapel pastor? Or, and I like have to go to Jesus and I say, you're gentle and lowly, and I don't need to worry about these things. Or even better, I live in Lexington, and there was traffic all the way here at 9 o'clock in the morning. It's so Jesus to be like, are you at rest? You got rest? I mean, what, about, what, are you, what are you thinking about traffic? Now, you could do a lots of things for rest. Madeline talked about that. It sounds like you have lots of resources to wrestle with what brings you rest, but he is offering you rest. And I want to remind you of this. This is not some podunk podcast you're listening to who offers you rest. No offense to John Mark Comer or John Tyson or some of these people who have leaned so much in the rule of life and they introduce that, and I love their podcast. This is not them. This is the same voice that called the stars into being. Think about this. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus looks at demons and calls them out, and the demons are like, okay, okay, I'll get out of here, okay? He calls, he calls ears to be healed and opened up, and they start hearing birds chirping. They start hearing his voice. He tells eyes to open, and I see his gentle face for the first time ever. He calls lame legs to start walking and start dancing around, and they do. He calls dead people to come to life, and that same voice is looking at you and saying, come to me and I will give you rest. And we're like, I'm good. I'll just look at my Instagram, which just makes me feel more insecure, and I compare more to everyone else. I wonder how much likes I have. I wonder how many new followers I have. Oh, I probably need it. You know what I mean? That's what I do. The same voice who called the stars into being invites you into rest. So we get to come to him for rest. We also get to take on his yoke. His yoke is an agrarian term. Uh, it's, a, it's a farming tool, right? Weak animal connected to a strong animal to go do work. It's also a word that would describe like his style of teaching, okay? So he's, taking, he's saying, take on my yoke. Frederick Dale Bruner, a theologian and author, says this. A yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need last, need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes that the most restful gift he can give the tired is a new way of carrying life a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens. I just want to pause right here. You might think your life is crazy busy and falling apart. Just wait till you graduate. It gets busier. Then you have kids. Then you have to pay bills. And then you become leaders, and leading is hard. 
right? I love this part. Realism sees that the life is a succession of burdens we cannot get away from. Thus, instead of Jesus offering escape, he offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, his teaching, his yoke, will develop us in a balance and in a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. So, my challenge for you is don't jump into Sabbath, don't jump into rest, don't develop a rule of life if you want to achieve his rest. Get to his rest and build things out of it. Does that make sense? Don't work for rest, work from rest. Do you understand what that means? Do you crash into the weekend because you've worked so hard, or do you get launched into your week from the weekend because you've rested so hard? Do you understand that's an offer every day? So when we understand his heart, posture, and priorities of our life, we start living differently. Not just because we are well-rested, but because we are being formed in the way of life. And when we feel exhausted, we get back to him and let him address it. We're coached and encouraged by his gentle and humble heart. So in closing, Christians, Gen Z, I believe that these three verses are quite possibly the most evangelistic verses in all of the Bible for your generation. Can you imagine if we are introducing the world, especially in America that's becoming more and more stressed, more and more anxious, more, more and more secular, could you imagine if you introduce the world to a gentle and humble savior that doesn't want them to perform better or get their act together, but wants them to come and rest, and from that place of rest, they could experience human flourishing and health? This is the most evangelistic passage, I believe, in the world today. It would be fair, and it would be even copying Christ's own testimony, his teaching, if we answer everyone when they say, who's Jesus to you? We say, gentle and humble. Now, those who don't know Jesus, you maybe have never been introduced to a religion or a man like Jesus. Jesus is so much better than anyone in this world can explain to you. Jesus is so much better than any chapel speaker will be able to dictate or preach about. His rest is a billion times better than we will even scratch. What if you leaned in? Do you need rest? Do you need relief? Do you need freedom from all the burdens? Meet Jesus. Meet Jesus, because this is his invitation, that you would come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and he promises to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And those who don't know Jesus, who have not experienced, I promise you, you will find rest for your souls. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Asbury, fall in love. Get captivated by a gentle and humble Savior. He'll lead you into what you're supposed to do after college. He'll lead you into freedom from that sin or that ad addiction. He'll lead you to the right person to get married to or, or whatever is on your heart. But start at the gentle and humble Savior.